two quick announcements. One is that we will get back to Sunday school classes next Sunday morning starting at 930. And then also most of the Bible studies that we are uh, operating uh, on a weekly basis will begin meeting again uh, during the following week. I want to read for you from Psalm 147. Uh, here's what the Word of God says. How good to sing praises to our God. How delightful and how fitting. The Lord is rebuilding Jerusalem and bringing the exiles back to Israel. He heals the brokenhearted and bandages their wounds. He counts the stars and calls them by name. How great is our Lord. His power is absolute. Let's stand together this morning and join our hearts in prayer. Father, as we come before you this morning, we are grateful for your uh, word that proclaims truth about you that comforts our hearts in the most incredible and satisfying ways. Uh, Lord, we thank you that you are faithful to us. Uh, thank you, Lord, that your power is absolute as this text says, and that there is no circumstance that we face that you cannot overcome. Uh, Lord, with that in mind this morning, we bring before you many within our church family who have been struggling with uh, sickness, uh, many afflicted with this, uh, this virus. And uh, Father, for them this morning, for the abundance of them, we pray your just beautiful protection over them for deliverance uh, from the illness that is afflicting their bodies right now, Father. Uh, we just ask that your hand would be upon them. We lift up our dear friend Diana Kelly and her entire family. We just pray continued favor over Diana. Uh, Lord, your will, your purpose is your healing hand, that it would be manifested in her life in a very powerful and strong way. Uh, also, Lord, this morning I wanted to uh, lift up the Grief Share Ministry in our church family. That is such an amazing blessing to people that are hurting and suffering in our community. Uh, Father, we just uh, pray for Fran and Laura. Thank you for the gifts that you've given both of them in serving uh, those in our community that have lost loved ones and are walking through seasons of grief. We thank you for this ministry, and we pray that you would continue to bless it within the context of our church family and in our community as well. So pour your blessing now, Lord, over our time in song, our time in your word. Uh, let it be a blessing to those that are present, to those that are watching on live stream. May Jesus be glorified and exalted, we pray in his name. Amen.
Messiah 
ransom from heaven, Jesus Messiah. Messiah, we thank you this Christmas, this Christmas season that you came as a baby, you lived a perfect and sinless life, the same as, or not the same, but uh, you lived the life that we all live now, and yet we're perfectly sinless, God. We can't imagine that, and we thank you so much that you sent your son to live that life and to bring us into your fold. God, we just ask that now, as we hear your word, um, you would help our hearts to continue to reflect on your awesomeness and uh, the fact that you loved us so much to send your son in the way that the Christmas story tells to bring us into a relationship with you. We pray this in Jesus Christ's name. Amen. Well, good morning and Merry Christmas. Uh, would you turn with me to Psalm 98? It's one of those weird passages, you know. You would think at a Christmas theme message, we would be in Matthew or Luke. Um, but today we're going to be in Psalm 98. We'll tell you a little bit about that in a moment. Um, I have entitled this Songs of Christmas. We did one uh, last on Friday evening, Songs of Christmas, and it was Silent Night, Holy Night. So we wanted to just spend some time looking at the hymn uh, that we spend time worshiping to uh, during the Christmas season. And today it's Songs of Christmas number two, and we're going to be talking about joy to the world, joy to the world. So you may be familiar with joy to the world, but the reality is there is not much joy happening in the world. And, oh, there she is. It's usually Tim doing this, but <laughs> junior church, those uh, that are going to junior church, you could be dismissed. We'll try that again, round two. <laughs> um, so uh, songs of uh, Christmas, joy to the world. Uh, so there's not much, to be honest, joy in this world uh, today. Uh, as you turn on the news and you look and talk to people, as you stand near people in stores or you're with people in your neighborhood, there is a lot of pain and there's a lot of misery. Um, if you go down, down the prayer list in our church, there's a lot of pain, a lot of struggles, a lot of people with health issues and significant health crises. Uh, we have people that are struggling in relationships. We have people that are struggling financially with jobs. We have people that are struggling in so many different ways. And we say joy to the world and we put on our Sunday smile, but then as soon as we leave the door, the frown comes again. And so that's true for believers, but it's definitely true for those that are out in the world. What I want to focus on this morning is what is joy and what real joy comes from, where it really comes from, and how we can magnify that joy in our lives. So joy to the world, this, this hymn that we just sang a little bit ago, and it's probably sung almost every Christmas season multiple times. You've probably, I can't even tell you, I've been a Christian for over four decades. I can't even tell you how many times I've heard it or sung it myself. A Joy to the World is one of those favorite carols, and it was written by Isaac Watts. 
And Isaac Watts was a well-known hymn writer. He wrote some of the greatest hymns that we have. Alas, and did my Savior bleed, if you're familiar with that one. Or Jesus shall reign wherever the sun. Or our God of help in ages past. Oh, that's another great one. One of my favorite Isaac Watts hymns is When I Survey the wondrous cross. So Isaac Watts was brilliant in, in his hymn writing, and we still have his hymns today. He lived in the 1600s, late 1600s. He was born in 1674. He passed away in 1748. So it's been a ton of years that we have been singing Isaac Watts hymns. Now, one of the most joyous of his hymns is the hymn that we sang earlier, Joy to the World. But what you're going to find is this. As we sang that hymn, there's nothing in there about shepherds. There's nothing in there about angels. There's nothing in there about a baby in a manger. There's no angelic choruses. There is none of that. So why is it a Christmas hymn? Well, in reality, when Isaac Watts made this and created this, he wasn't intending it to be a Christmas hymn. It was actually not a hymn of Christ's first advent, but it's actually a hymn of Christ's second advent. And we'll see that as we look at Psalm 98. And the joy that is there when Christ comes back and he judges the world and he rules over the world and he makes all things new, the joy that comes from that second advent is what Isaac Watts was getting at. But I think the reason why we include it as a Christmas hymn today is this. That the joy that we get in that second advent was because of Christ's first advent. He came here to live. He was born. He lived. He died. He rose again. He ascended. And eventually he is coming back again. So as we look at this, we're going to be spending time trying to figure out about Christ. His life, his death, his burial, his resurrection. The one thing that you'll see in this psalm, and I love the psalms, you know that. This is probably the most joyous of all the psalms. There's such enthusiastic worship. You know, people talk about worship being too loud today. But in the temple time, the music was loud and blaring and the singing was loud and boisterous because they were praising their God. Now, if they could only see a foreshadow of what Christ, of God, what God was going to do in Christ, we know exactly what Christ has done. We should be so boisterous and exuberant in our worship. Now, before Christ came, it was 400 years of silence. Malachi writes, and then after that, there is no prophetic word from God until Christ breaks through and comes into this world. The word became flesh. So our entire Advent season, our entire Christmas season should be one that is filled with rejoicing, contemplating what God has done for us in Christ, and providing for us as sinful human beings hope, eternal life, peace, and joy. That's where joy to the world comes from. So as we sing this song today, as we work through this psalm today, and as we think about this hymn today, I want you to think about the salvation that God has granted you. So let's read the psalm together. We'll pray, and then we'll work through it. Uh, today, as I did on Friday, I'm going to have one passage of scripture, Psalm 98. Uh, as we did on Friday, we had one hymn that we looked at, Silent Night on Friday. We're going to look at Joyful uh, uh, 
my goodness, Joy to the World on today. And then ultimately we are going to look at one consistent message. And as you remember on Friday, the one consistent message was Christ. Today, the same consistent message is Christ. One passage, one hymn, one consistent message. Here's Psalm 98. Hear this with me. A psalm. Actually, it's the first time it's actually written in there, a psalm. We got all the way to 98, and this is the first time it's actually written a psalm. But a psalm. Oh, sing to the Lord a new song. For he has done marvelous things. His right hand and his holy arm have worked salvation for him. The Lord has made known his salvation. He has revealed his righteousness in the sight of the nations. He has remembered his steadfast love and faithfulness to the house of Israel, to the ends of the earth, have seen the salvation of our God. Make a joyful noise to the Lord, all the earth. Break forth in joyous song and sing praises. Sing praises to the Lord with a lyre, with the lyre and the sound of melody, with trumpets and sound of the horn. Make a joyful noise before the King, the Lord. Let the seas roar and all that fills it, the world and those who dwell in it. Let the rivers clap their hands. Let the hills sing for joy together before the Lord, for he comes to judge the earth. He will judge the world with righteousness and the peoples with equity. This is God's sufficient, eternal, authoritative, life-giving, life-changing word. Would you pray with me? So, Father, I pray that we would make a joyful noise to you. Father, some of us don't sing very well like myself, but we can sing joyfully. And it may sound like noise to others, but it is praise to you. Father, I pray that the words of our lips will magnify what's really going on in our hearts. Help us not just to sing these words or think these words without thought, without deep contemplation of our great Savior, our great King, our great Judge, our Lord. Help us to see him today. So, Father, I pray that this Christmas season, we will magnify your Son, glorify him, and see him as our reigning King. In Jesus' name we pray. Okay, so um, as I said, as we did on Friday, one passage, one hymn, one consistent message. Um, with Psalm 98, I am thankful to John Stott and to James Montgomery Boyce because they kind of gave us a little bit of the outline that I'm going to use today. Uh, for, so it's pretty easy, nine verses three sections, three verses each section. So verses one through three, we're going to look at a call to worship, and it's a call to worship for the people of God. The people of God are called to worship God. So you, as believers, are called to worship God, and you're called to worship God as your Savior. Okay, verses one through three. Then the psalmist expands it, and it's a call to worship for all the people of the earth. So all the people of the earth are called to worship God. And in verses 4 through 6, we're going to see that God is king. And then the last section is he started with the people of God calling worship to God because of his salvation work. Then it's the peoples of the earth are called to worship God because he's king. And then he ends with this. He says even all of creation, the trees, the hills, the seas are called to worship God. Amazingly, because God is our judge, verses 7 through 8. So let's start with verses 1 through 3. It's 
It says, O sing to the Lord a new song, for he has done marvelous things. His right hand and his holy arm have worked salvation for him. We're called to sing to the Lord a new song. Praying for whatever's going on outside right now as well. Uh, it's called to sing to the Lord a new song. A new song praises God for the marvelous things that he's done. Every day, God does something new for you. Not only did he provide salvation for you 2,000 years ago, but every day God is doing something new in your life, and it is giving you new opportunities to worship and to glorify him. Every day we have new experiences of the Lord. Every day he blesses our lives, and it prevents us, presents us new ways to honor him, to praise him, and to magnify him. And that's what the psalmist is saying here. The psalmist says we should be singing a new song because of the marvelous things that God has done. I, I was really um, humbled as I read this, and um, how oftentimes is it that you will sing a hymn or sing a song, and it's like your mind is just singing it, but you're really not connected at a heart level. And it's like you're singing these words, and it's like you're just mouthing them because you've heard them over and over again, but it's not magnifying something new in your life. Well, that, what, that's not what we want to see here. The psalmist says that you have a new reason to sing a new song every single day because God has done extraordinary things, surpassing things, wonderful things in your life. Do you see that? See, the psalmist focuses specifically in this first section on the salvation that God has provided his people, his deliverance. Look what it says here. He says, oh, sing to the Lord a new song for he's done marvelous things. He, he talked about his right hand, which is God's sovereignty, and his holy arm. So it's God's sovereignty and his holiness have worked together for salvation for you. The reason why you are saved is because the power of God and the holiness of God coming together to do something new for you. Uh, if we just focused on the resurrection and the work that Christ has done to redeem us, we should never stop praising God. But God doesn't stop there in what he did for us in salvation. He uses new things out of that salvation every single day. We should be praising him. We should be worshiping him. We should be glorifying him every single day. And the psalmist talks about the fact that as he delivered us with his power and his holiness, he is focusing our attention on the fact that God has done this for you, and then God has done this to reveal it to the world. Look what he says here in verse 2. It says, the Lord has made known his salvation. He has revealed his righteousness in the sight of the nations. This is similar to what I was saying on Friday night, that all of us, if you know Christ as your personal Savior, it is because God has opened your eyes, he's opened your ears, he's given you a new heart. You would never have seen him unless he showed himself to you. As the shepherds were out in the field, the angels showed them and revealed truth to them. God has done something similar in your life to bring you to salvation. So God has revealed this. So the salvation work that God has done by his strong right hand and his holy arm now has been made known to the nations. He has revealed his righteousness in the sight of the nations. The psalmist is praising God for his salvation. He's praising God for his deliverance. He's praising God for his vindication. He's praising God that he's done this in righteousness. Now, we don't know when this psalm was written. It could have been written about the exodus of the Jews out of Egypt, you know, in Egypt for 400 years, and then they were released out of bondage and went out of Egypt through the desert and to the promised land. It could be there. 
It could be at other times in the Jewish history. We don't know. And it's interesting that we don't know that because if we did, we probably would be focusing on the deliverance specifically rather than the deliverer. And the psalmist wants you not focusing on the deliverance primarily. He wants you to focus on the deliverer, the savior. And that's really good advice for us. See, the real exodus, the real liberation, the real freedom is ultimately found in the person and work of Christ. Now, the psalmist didn't know that at the time, but you and I know that. That as we look back, that real freedom comes from Christ and Christ alone. So we should be praising him and honoring him for what he has done. We should do even more than the psalmist is doing. And the boisterous clapping and the loud praise and the rejoicing should be even more evident for a believer's life today. Why? Because God has kept his word. Look, look here. It says, he has remembered his steadfast love, verse 3, and his faithfulness to the house of Israel. All the ends of the earth have seen the salvation of the Lord. So what do we see? We see that God is the one that provides salvation for you. He does it alone. Nothing that you do. God does it by his holy arm and his, his right arm and his holiness. God's salvation is now revealed to the world that the world can see that he has done something specific for you. But it is also specifically here that God is remembering what? His steadfast love and faithfulness. Now, does it mean that God has forgotten? No, it's just saying that God is calling again to you to remember how much he loves you and how faithful he is. See, that's really important for us as we go through difficult times and discouraging times in our lives. We need to remind ourselves of God's steadfast love and his faithfulness. Maybe you worry about the person sitting next to you, whether they love you and whether they're consistent or not. They're probably not going to be consistent because they're sinful people. But God is steadfast in his love for you. He doesn't stop in his love for you. He loved you even before you were born. He loved you before this world was ever created, he said. That love that he placed upon you, that steadfast love. And then his faithfulness. He's a truth teller. He's a promise keeper. He's a covenant keeper. See, I could break my word very easily because I'm a sinful man. You break your word very easily because you're sinful people. But God never breaks his word. So the psalmist is so caught up in the fact that, God, you've done these marvelous things and a new song should come out of my life and you've revealed salvation for me by your own work. You've revealed salvation to the world. Now you've also done this amazing thing because you love me and you're faithful. One final thought in this first section. He says here, all the ends of the earth have seen the salvation of the Lord. Now, I'm not completely sure what he means by this. I'll give you a couple of interpretations that are out there. One interpretation, which I don't agree with, is this, that it means that every single person in this world will be saved. Universalism. That every single person all around the world will ultimately be saved because of the work of Christ. Well, Christ spoke of hell more than any other person in the world, in the scriptures. So it is pretty clear that there is an eternity where people have rejected Christ and they will spend eternity under God's anger and wrath. Rather than receiving the wrath-absorbing work of Christ, they have now taken the wrath upon themselves. So it can't be universalism. So I don't think that that's what, I know it's not what that is. But what does it mean when he says, all the ends of the earth have seen the salvation of our God? I believe that what it means is this, that the salvation message has now gone out 
where every tribe and every tongue, every color and every ethnicity, there are people around this world, brothers and sisters in Christ that may not look like you, may not speak like you, but have the common hope. The common hope is Christ. You ever meet with a brother or sister from a different nation and there is something that you just have connected with them and it's like you just know that you are connected as a family member. Well, that's Christ. It's Christ working in their lives, working in their lives and in working in your lives and bringing you together. So it doesn't mean that all people are going to be saved, but it does mean that people from all around this world will be saved. I think there's a third thing that you can consider here as well as we close the section. All the ends of the earth have seen the salvation of the Lord. I believe it's also a potential warning to people outside. That as you give the gospel message to friends and family members and neighbors and co-workers, you'll say that Jesus Christ has saved me. You can have salvation in him. But if you do not save, if you do not trust in him, what is the final analysis? It's a warning. There's hell that awaits. So not only is all the world meaning that there are going to be people from all around the world that are going to be saved. It is a warning to those that have not trusted in Christ that every time you show your life out there and every time you talk about a Christmas and a good, a good Friday and a resurrection Sunday, you are giving a warning to these people that there's a problem and that they need to change. Well, the psalmist begins by focusing on the fact that our, the people of God need to be praising God. And he focuses on the fact that God is Savior. Now he moves to the second section where he is focusing on all the peoples of the earth should be praising him as well. Verse 4. It says, make a joyful noise to the Lord all the earth. Make a joyful noise. And once again, he is, he is clamoring here. He's focusing on this joy. And he says, break forth in joyous song. Sing praises. Sing praises to the Lord with lyre, with lyre and sounds of melody, with trumpets and sounds of the horn. And make a joyful noise before the king. So you could hear it. Joyful noise is actually mentioned twice in this section. In verse 4 and then again in verse 6. So it's kind of like buck. Uh, Book ended. Joyful noise to the Lord, joyful noise before the King and the Lord. Right in the middle, we'll sing, sing praises. You'll see that twice. Sing praises, sing praises. So he's got the bookends here of make a joyful noise, and then right in the middle, he says, sing praises to the Lord. But I want you to focus on the word break forth in my version. It says, make a joyful noise to the Lord, all the earth. Break forth. It's like it just, it's welling up within you, and it just can't help but come out. There is something that should be happening in our hearts as we meditate on Christ and his cross and his empty tomb and the work that he has done something amazing for you. And that's just well up with praise and adoration and worship of him over and over again in your lives. Do you ever find yourself just being forced and just singing the songs, try to the world? Yeah, you know I mean, it's like, and it's like, there's no passion that's behind it. That's not the way it's supposed to be. You can see why I don't sing. Joy to the world. The Lord has come. Let earth receive her king. That should just break forth in great joy. So the psalmist says that the, joy, the praise of God should be joyful and loud. He says that the joyful noise, he's saying that it needs to be enthusiastic and it needs to be a praise that is everywhere present. And it breaks forth, it bursts forth with this joyous praise. Do you sense that that's your passion when you praise God? 
Is that your passion behind your worship and your adoration of God? Very honestly, as I look at mine, sometimes it's not. Sometimes I just read the words on the screen or I just say the words and I'm thinking about something else. I'm completely distracted by something else and I'm missing Christ. So I've got one finger out, three fingers point back. Let us make this an aim of our lives, that we are going to worship him. Make his worship of him huge. I want you to see three things about the worship that he talks here. He starts with the passion of our worship. We see that it needs to be boisterous. The second, he talks about the means of our worship. And he talks about the instrumentation. Now, we have different instrumentation today, but he looks at this instrumentation. He says, sing praises to the Lord with lyre, with lyre and sounds of melody, with trumpets and with horns. All of these things were used. These were the means of worship. But the thing I really want you to focus on is not just the passion of our worship and not just the means of our worship. I want you to focus on the object of our worship. What does he say here? The object of our worship is make a joyful noise, verse 6, before the king. See, the king, he is saying that Yahweh, our Lord, is king. We come before the king with no fear. We come before the king with no, re with no reverence or fear or, or worry. We come before the king because we praise him consistently. We praise him enthusiastically. We praise him wholeheartedly. We praise him for the victory that he has won for you and for me. See, he's the king. It's like, it's like our military coming back after they won a great battle and we cheer on the military. They went out and fought for us, but we are protected because of their fight in a greater way, Christ, the king, won the greatest battle for you. And he's coming back as the king. And we are just applauding him because we are a part of that victory. Let that be reigning in your heart. Praise him in such a consistent way, a wholehearted way. Be so devoted in your worship to him. Let the praises of God resound in such an emphatic way in your life that people around you know that God is hallowed. Okay, so he says that the people of God should praise God because he's God is a savior. Then he says the people of this world should praise God because God is king. And then he ends the psalm by saying that even the created orders of this world should praise God because God is judge. Look with me in verses 7 and following. It says, let the seas roar and all that fills it. Let the world and all who dwell in it. Let the rivers clap their hands. Let the hills sing together for joy before the Lord, for he comes as the judge of the earth. See, in the first section, we learn that we're called to worship God as Savior. In the second section, we see that we're called to worship God as King. Now we are called to worship God in the final analysis as a coming judge. How is that supposed to bring joy? Well, it's supposed to bring joy for you because when God comes back, when Christ comes back, he comes back as the reigning king. He makes all things new again. See, for a non-believer, the coming judge is going to bring fear and trepidation. But for you, you know that there is therefore now what? No condemnation. I stand righteous in the sight of God. And when he comes back, he takes my sin away. What he did for you at salvation was this. He justified you and he took away the penalty of your sin. The, sin, the penalty of your sin is gone. The anger and wrath of God was poured out upon Christ and it will not be poured upon you. The penalty is gone. 
And then what he does progressively is he is working to remove the power of sin in your life. And they call that sanctification. He is now making you holy. He's given you a position of holiness. Now he's making you holy progressively day by day in your life. But eventually, we're going to come to a place where we are ultimately set free from the presence of sin. The penalty of sin is gone. The power of sin has been released in your life. And now you've been set free from the presence of sin. And that's exactly what seems to be happening here. The psalmist is so caught up in the fact that even the created order is worshiping him. Now, you may be familiar with this, but back in Genesis chapter 3, start Genesis 1 and 2, God created this world and it was perfect. And then he created humanity and humanity walked with humanity and there was no problems. It was, they were one. And there was no problems between humanity and humanity. There was no problems between humanity and God. There was no problems between humanity and nature. All of that changed in Genesis chapter 3 because when we sinned, that curse affected our relationship vertically with God. It affected our relationship horizontally with others, but it also affected the created order. I was taking a walk this morning, beautiful day for December 26. I'm taking a walk this morning and I'm seeing trees that are fallen. Branches that are broken down. I'm seeing the carcass of dead animals on the ground. I'm seeing death all over the place. That is what is a part of the curse of our sin. And creation is saying, I am longing for a day where there's no more broken down trees. No more carcasses on the road. Hope and healing. Romans In Romans 8, Paul talked about it. It says that creation is groaning right now. Waiting For what? Christ's return, but your vindication. It's amazing. So he he personifies creation here. He says, let the seas roar and all that fills it. Let the world and all that dwells in it. Let the rivers. I love this. You know, if you see rivers, you know, a big ocean and it's like a big storm and it almost seems like the waves are clapping their hands. That is what he's envisioning for the worship of God. He says, let the rivers clap their hands. Let the sings and let the hills sing for joy because the Lord comes to judge the world. And when he comes, he comes to judge in righteousness and the people's inequity. Nature praises God. It's the anticipation of the great king coming back. The psalm calls us to praise God because he's a great redeemer, the savior of his people. He has saved us by delivering us. The psalm says that we are called to praise God because he is king. The psalm ends with the fact that we are called to praise God because he is the coming judge. We should be living in anticipation of what God is doing in our lives and what God will ultimately do. He will judge this world with righteousness. Some of you have been mistreated in this world. God says, I will make it right. Some of you have been stolen and defrauded. God says, I will fix that. Some of you have been hurt and rejected by others. God says, I will fix that. In fact, Christ says, I will make all things new. What an amazing promise. He's going to judge this world with righteousness. He will show that he's right and just in his divine judgment. He will punish the wicked. He will vindicate the righteous. He will judge with equity. He will not be unfair or unjust in his judgment. Everything that God does is right. That should cause us to sing a new song 
In, in Revelation chapter 5, it says this, and they sang a new song. Worthy are you to take the scroll and open its seals, for you were slain, and by your blood you ransomed people for God from every tribe, every language, every people, and every nation. See, that's the new song. The new song that the psalmist talked about here, the new song that Revelation, John and Revelation wrote, and the new song that Isaac Watts wrote about. So let's look at the hymn. Joy to the world. It's on your notes. So what do we learn from this hymn? I think there's a lot of connection to Psalm 98. You'll see it. Joy to the world. The Lord has come. Let earth receive her what? King. Second section of the stanza of the psalm. Let every heart prepare him room. That is the one section where people say it could connect to Christmas. You remember where there was not a room for Christ in the inn, but he's saying, let every one of your hearts prepare room for him. And let heaven and nature sing. That connects to the very last section of Psalm 98, that even the heavens or the nature order, the created order, are singing praise to God. So what do we learn from stanza number one? Humans, heaven, and nature are to praise God. That's your aim. You were created for the glory of God and the praise of God. Make that your aim. Well, let's look at the second stanza. The second stanza tells us something more. It says, joy to the earth, the Savior reigns. Well, where does that connect? That very first portion of the psalm where we're glorifying God as Savior. Let men their songs employ. Remember, the people of God are praising God, and then all the peoples of the earth are called to praise God. Where fields and floods, rocks, hills, and plains that connects to creation repeat with sounding joy. Repeat with sounding joy. Our praise should be so vibrant that it is just repeating over and over, bursting forth. So what do we learn in that second stanza? We learn that we are to praise God because of his saving work. And then when we do that, repeated praise should burst forth from us as we consider anew what Christ has done for us. So humans in heavens and nature are called to praise God. We're called to praise God because of his saving work, and it should bring about repeated praise. Stanza number three. No more let sins and sorrow grow, nor thorns infest the ground. He comes to make his blessings flow as far as the curse is found, far as the curse is found, far as, far as the curse is found. The curse started in Genesis 3, brought about rebellion between humanity and humanity, rebellion between humanity and nature, and rebellion between humanity and God. And he says, I am removing that curse. One of the beautiful passages in Genesis chapter 3 is where Jesus, where God is talking to the serpent. And the serpent, he is cursing the serpent. And he says, you are going to bite my son's heel, but my son is going to do what? He's going to crush your head. Yes, Satan may have taken a swipe at Christ, but Christ ultimately broke the curse of sin. So what do we learn from stanza number three? We no longer are slaves to sin, Satan, or death. Yes, we'll die physically, that's going to happen, but ultimate death, spiritual death, none of us who are in Christ are going to experience. God has rescued you from the penalty of sin. He's progressively rescuing you from the power of sin, and he will ultimately one day rescue you from the presence of sin. Because the curse of sin is broken. Last stanza. He rules with the world, the rules the world with truth and grace. 
And he makes the nations prove, the nations of the world are going to see this, the glories of his righteousness and the wonders of his love, the wonders of his love, the wonders, wonders of his love. Be amazed at what God has done for you. He is the God of truth and grace. He is the God of righteousness and love. And he will make all things new. If that doesn't cause us to praise God, I don't know what. So what do we learn today? God is savior and, and God is king and God is the coming judge. I wanted you to consider this morning one passage, Psalm 98. I wanted you to consider one hymn, Joy to the World. But what was the one consistent message that hopefully you saw through it? Jesus. The world, for quite a while, has been indoctrinating us and teaching us its beliefs and behaviors, its principles and practices. It's sad to say, as I look at the Christian community, far too often we are thinking the same way the world thinks and speaking the same way the world think, uh, speaks and acting the way the world acts. And when the church of the Lord Jesus Christ sounds exactly like the world, when we say that wrong is right, and we say that right is wrong, we are off course, my brothers and sisters. And it's no wonder that Christian church, many in the Christian church are lacking peace, lacking hope and lacking joy because they're taking the world's counsel, they're believing it, and they're applying it in their lives. Let that not be said of the people of this community. I want you to focus and I want you to find yourself founded on the fact that there is something better that God has a better truth, a better way of life, better behaviors. We need to be a better witness in this dark and despairing and discouraging world. But that's only going to start if you believe it deeply, if it's bursting forth out of you. That's the only way it's going to happen. You are on the winning side. Christ is the victor. Stop living like you were defeated. Stop living like you have no hope. Stop living like there is no joy. That is not the person that you are if you are in Christ. I want you to live free. I want you to live in peace. I want you to live in hope. I want you to live in joy. Two last things before we close. If you have your Bibles, turn with me to 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. At the end of 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 and verses 16 through 18, Paul does these bullet point summaries. And as I was thinking about this bullet point summary that he gave, he gave three basic bullet points in, in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse uh, 16 and 18, through 18. He gives three bullet points of the way we are called to live, and I think in many ways it magnifies Psalm 98. In many ways it magnifies joy to the world. In many ways it magnifies the way we're called to live. So watch these bullet points. If you forget everything else that I've said, hear these bullet points. Verse 16, rejoice always. So what are we called to do? We're called to be joyful. Make your life joyful. And if it's not, ask God to change your heart. Then he says in verse 17, pray without ceasing. Be prayerful. The Psalms were prayer and praise that needs to be magnified in your life. There are far too many Christians that spend far less time in God's word and far little time praying to God. Be joyful, be prayerful, and then finally, in verse 18, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. Be thankful. 
Be joyful, be prayerful, be thankful. Let those be the hallmark of our lives. And if we do that, what will happen? We'll see that God is Savior. We will see that God is King. We will see that God is the coming judge. And we will praise him. Praise him. I'll do one last thing for you. You have a sheet there. On the back of the sheet, there is a statement of faith regarding the Lord Jesus Christ. We don't do this in this church much. We're going to try to do it today. I'm going to ask each one of you to stand, number one. On the back of your sheet, it says Ligonier's statement for Christology. That's where it comes from. I want us to read the statement about Christ today and then praise him. We confess the mysteries and wonder of God made flesh and rejoice in God, the great salvation through Jesus Christ, our Lord. With the Father and the Holy Spirit, the Son created all things, sustains all things, and makes all things new. Truly God, he became truly man, two natures in one person. He was born of the Virgin Mary. He lived among us, crucified, dead, and buried. He rose on the third day ascended into heaven and will come again in glory and in judgment. For us, he kept the law, atoned for sin, satisfied God's wrath, took our filthy rags and gave us his righteous robe. He is our prophet, our priest and king, building his church, interceding for us and reigning over all things. Jesus is Lord. We praise his holy name forever. Amen. Let's pray. So Lord, joy to the world, the Lord has come. Let earth receive her king. Lord, I pray that we would praise you because you are our savior. I pray that we would praise you because you are our king. I pray that we would praise you because you're the coming judge and you're going to make all things new. Father, I pray that it wouldn't just be praise here among the people of God. I pray that even the world would praise you. I pray that eventually creation would praise you. And I pray that we would all join in where every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord for the glory of God the Father. In Jesus' name we pray.
Dear Heavenly Father, God, we just thank you for this time of worship, and we ask that you would, uh, as James said, Lord, keep us, keep us amazed with what you have done for us in your Son, Jesus. And I uh, just ask that you would bless us as we go and to uh, keep this forefront in our minds as we uh, portray you to a watching world. And we pray these things in Christ's name. Amen. Amen.